If you're in construction, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Constructed Behaviors Podcast. I'm your host, Barb Allen. I'm a woman with decades of experience in the construction industry, and most of it on the job site. I know how rewarding this industry can be, but like you, I also know that we could improve. Let's work together to make changes from the inside out. podcast for any length of time, chances are you've heard me mention the best boss I ever had. Apparently, I mentioned him more than I even realized because a couple months ago, I got a text from him that said, why every time I listen to one of your podcasts, my name comes up? To be fair, I'm not sure I've ever actually mentioned his name, but he and so many others know exactly who I've been talking about. His name is Terry Delugosh. He was truly the best boss I ever had in the construction industry, and today, He's my guest. Since he's never been one to seek out the spotlight, unless it is on a water ski course, it took me nearly six months to talk him into doing this interview. But just like Heinz ketchup, some things are worth the wait. So today you are going to hear myself and a now very happily retired carpenter and general superintendent talk about what supporting your people truly looks like. Welcome to the show, boss. Glad to be here. Tell everybody what, what, what was your path? How did you even get into construction and what did your climb up the ladder look like? Well, I mean, probably a lot like you, Barb, when I got in and you wanted to be a superintendent working for a company that was union, you had to belong to a union in order to direct people in the field. And that was the first step in your ladder climb. So you had to, you know, for me, join the carpentry apprenticeship program and go through an apprenticeship program and looking back that was probably the best thing I ever did in my whole educational process because it taught you a skill set and it got you out there physically working with your tools and learning what all the people were going to be doing as you moved up the ladder and you were then directing them you truly understood what they were going through out there in the trenches I think that part of the of the latter was the most valuable part of anything I, anything I learned. Were you uh, involved in construction before you went to college? Cause your degrees in, in construction management from K state, right? And no central Missouri state. I did go to K state for a while and I got out of school and worked for a while and went back to school while I was working. So I didn't start out with my construction science degree. Okay. Well, to go back to answer your question, yes, my whole family has been in construction. My <laughs> uncle owned a pretty large residential construction company in Topeka, Kansas. Uh, my dad worked for him as a superintendent. I had another uncle that worked for him. Uh, my grandpa was a farmer, but he would build spec houses in the wintertime. He'd go out and you know, subdivide a piece of property and build a spec house. So yeah, from a very young age, I was on a construction site, started out being the trash boy, picking up trash. Uh, it was kind of a summer job, a, a Christmas break job all through high school. You go and, and work. And I started out at the very bottom of the, of the ladder. Started out with a smaller company and um, they had went through a, a management change. One of the owners had some health issues and was going to retire. 
his partner didn't want to to uh, carry on without him. And at that particular time, we were working for J.E. Dunn as a subcontractor. And my old boss actually kind of worked with the superintendent and project executive on that job to get me hired at J.E. Dunn. And it was it was a pretty interesting transition. So how, how many years were you at J. Dunn? Uh, 22. And when you, 22 years. And when you left, you were a general superintendent. I was a director of field operations. Director of field ops for the Houston office. And I was also managing their self-performed group for the region. Oh, that's right. That's right. My memory sucks. Can you, I mean, I feel like I'm asking you questions. You're like, no, this is how it happened. Um, is that how the whole career worked when you were my plus two? Probably. Um, okay. So uh, talking about your family though, for a second. So your brother uh, is also in construction. He's with Jay Dunn. He is uh, general he's a, superintendent. He's a general superintendent. And then you have two kids that are also construction. David is now what VP of ops at Balfour Beatty. That's correct. And Danielle is a superintendent for Hensel Phelps. Yep. So you have absolutely carried on the tradition. And um, for those who won't be watching the YouTube version, I, I feel like I need to tell you right now that Terry is clearly sitting in a garage with, you can see the lumber stacked above him, and yet he still is sitting here on a Zoom. So um, Beth has you having your own office still out here, or you have chosen to still be out uh, in the shop. This is my office these days. I, I'm not surprised. Um, okay, so at what point in your career, like how old were you when you started managing people? Um, well, you know, when I went to work for the first company, the first couple bosses I had, um, it was clearly, even though they knew you were on a superintendent path, it was kind of like go out and work at a field, setting the, set the, uh, the trailer with the field guys don't ever come to the office unless I ask you to. And it was the third superintendent I worked for that I felt like actually embraced me and started um, giving me an opportunity to go up the ladder towards managing people or managing something out there in the field. And so at first I was paired up with a with our layout guy. And then I kind of took over the layout for the project. And that was probably my first first management thing of managing the layout and then eventually going to managing the, a couple of guys who were helping you with layout. From there, I went into, you know, actually managing a crew of carpenters doing form work. How so, old were you, you think, when you first started um, managing people? You know, early 20s. Yeah. You know, way, way too, in a lot of people's perspective, way too young to be a foreman. Well, you know, I, I look back and for me, um, I, I started, I got my blue hat, started managing people two years out of college. So whatever that is, 25 maybe. And you think about when you look at the superintendent path or you, you look at the project management path, you start managing people a lot sooner on the superintendent path than you do on the project management path. Um, what at that age, what did you well, first, did you did you think you were a good manager at the beginning when you started managing people or or did you did it hit you later that you're like, OK, I wasn't maybe that good? I don't at think the beginning. 
from my perspective, I don't think I ever thought I was a good manager because I was constantly looking at how I could improve or how I could be better. You would have a situation. I mean, I was always uh, looking back on a situation and how I handled it and wishing I would have done something different. So I think it was an ongoing progress. And I don't know that me personally, I ever thought I was a great manager. Oh, you, you were a fantastic manager. And uh, I mean, anyone that I worked with that worked under you would, would say the exact same thing. I mean, the way that you were able to support your people um, and the stand that you took for us or the way that you were direct with us and, and showed us how to do it, you always led by example. And I mean, it, it's, it's a lot of what showed me the type of boss that I wanted to be. Um, but I say that, and I think back about the first guy I ever worked for. I had a little episode about him, uh, Pinky McCormick loved him, but he came from that old school of thought, which I think when you and I both started in, it was that kind of mentality where it's they're yellers they're screamers. They pick up the phone and throw it across the trailer, you know, phone phones used to actually be attached to the wall and a, and a cord. Um, and pick them up and throw them across the trailer. And so that's kind of what we came up with. Um, you being a little older than me, um, what what made you want to be something different? Because I think a lot of people still continued that and it's just been changing more so recently. Well, I think, you know, you learn something from every individual you work for, whether it's good or bad, how I want to do something or how I don't want to do something. But like I, going back the third person I worked for, I probably was a, a big influence to me because he had two or three just basic philosophies he lived by. Never ask anybody to do anything that you wouldn't go out and do yourself. And always give credit where credit's due, you know, and do that in public. You know, praise people for a good job in front of their peers. And if somebody needs corrected, always do that in private. And that was the three things I learned from Don that I kind of tried to take through my career. And you did all of those very well. I'm now thinking about thinking back to all of those, never ask anyone to do anything you, you wouldn't. I feel like, um, you know, I think for me, for me, I worked for Pinky, I worked for Rusty, and then I worked for you. Those are really the three bosses that I had in my in my field career. And I think all three of them um, had the mentality of never, they, they would have done anything that they had asked me to do, or they'd already done it in their career, right? Um, praising people in public and um, giving them constructive criticism or feedback in private that's something that is so important and so many managers don't do. And I, I look back and I think, man, I mean, Rusty may have been good at that, but I think I really, that's something I probably really learned from you because it, it's, it makes such a difference. Like when, when somebody pulls you aside and like, Hey, that was a really good job you did today, or I'm glad you did that. That's nice. But when you hear somebody say that in front uh, about you in front of other people, it just feels like you're really supported. That level of support just feels so much greater. And the um, getting reprimanded in front of people, it just, 
it builds resentment. It doesn't, it doesn't actually make you want to be better. It makes you want to punch somebody in the face. If I'm quite honest, did you, did you have any moments? Like, do you remember any stories where any of that like happened to you in a negative way that you're like, I want to be different? Well, I think the first, the first superintendent I worked for, and I also worked for a superintendent like that at Dunn. I mean, it seemed like they would just go out of their way to find me on the job site and tell me what an idiot I was. And it seemed like it went on every day. Um, I think some of that was there was a, especially back when I was coming up. If if you had any kind of a college degree in anything, you were just looked at differently because the majority of the people coming up through the field when I started were tradespeople that worked their way up the ladder. And they made great, great leaders and great superintendents. But the the fact of having an education beyond high school and then trying to get into the trades was just not very popular, especially in the field back yeah. in the early 80s. So. Well, I think there was also a weird transition where they were saying, you know, you don't you can't be promoted to a certain level unless you have the degree, which I think at some point makes makes people in the field feel like, well, I'm not as valuable as this person, you know, and there were people that I had worked next to forever that did not have a degree and they weren't going to get as high as I was at that time. Things have changed in the industry as a whole. And people are recognizing that it doesn't you don't have to have a degree to become a superintendent or a general superintendent. But. I think there's been, uh, there's been some push on either side, but I mean, I think back as coming out of college, your experience was probably similar, similar that you have a degree and you walk onto a job site and that old crusty superintendent's like, Oh, here's the college kid thinks he knows more than me. And then they just want to pound you into the ground and make you feel like, you know, nothing. And I think that's a lot the experience I had with my first, superintendent on the first job was because you know I had a, a had college he just looked at it like oh I got to go back and knock this kid down a notch you know and I mean it was even a joke on the job site you know the other the other guys you were working with well here he comes to knock Terry down in the dirt again <laughs> well and I think a lot of people they they see that and then they're like okay that's what it's supposed to be like that's that's who's successful that's who I'm going to be and you chose to do a different path, which was really different than I think a lot of people um, at your level at the time were choosing to do. Um, how how was that transition? I don't know if it's a transition, but did you did you feel pushback from the people above you? Like Terry, you're not being hard enough on your people. Um, did you did you ever feel some of that as you were becoming who you became as a leader? No, I don't think I ever felt like anybody above me saying I wasn't being wasn't being hard enough or I wasn't managing them the way that they felt like I should manage them. Cause I think most of the people I was lucky, I think, and most of the people that were above me managing me were more focused on the results you were getting than they were on how you were getting the results. And so I think I benefited in that. That's from that standpoint. Yeah. And I, I think the focusing on results instead of how you're doing it can go two different ways, right? Like for you, um, the way you were doing it was through relationships. You were creating relationships. You were building people while you were building buildings. And I think uh, in in the 
older days, there were people who were building buildings and knocking people down and they were, they were being successful at it. So there was, they, some, they were turning a cheek as well. They were the management looking the other way because, oh, they're being successful. But I think today, um, it's just, I have not come into contact with many superintendents that have that old mentality anymore. Um, at least not with the bigger companies, you know, I'm not involved with a lot of smaller companies, but the companies anymore truly value the, the leaders that are, are building relationships. Well, I think first in today's world, the managers that I grew up under, they would just spend their entire day in HR if they treated people the way I got treated. Yes, <laughs> this is true. So, so, I mean, and I think today we're doing a better job at providing management skills training for people in the field. I mean, I look back when I started, it was just figured out on your own. There was never any training for managers about people skills or things like that. It was, you were trained in how to build buildings and however you got the building built was kind of up to you. So it was probably, you know, in the mid nineties before we, I re remember starting to see management training on people skills and how to manage people, you know? Well, and I've been wondering that. So I'm glad that you said it was nineties. Cause I've been trying to think back about when I really felt that shift. Um, you know, when I started, it was, um, I, I did not feel like I got a lot of management help, uh, learning to, you know, training, I didn't get formal training that by the time that I left the field, that was a, that was a norm. You were getting that kind of formal training. Instead, it was just, you're learning from the people that you're working directly for. You're learning by example. And, and for me, I had such a diverse group between um, my first two superintendents that I worked for in particular between Pinky and Rusty. I don't know that there were two further from each other on the spectrum of, of how they manage projects and that and projects and people. And that was so great for me because I could, I could see it for the first two years. I saw it from this one perspective and the next four years, I saw it from a completely different perspective. And I was able to say, okay, let's, I, I want to figure out who I am. And I'm somewhere in the middle of that. I wasn't either, either side, either extreme of that. Um, that made me think of a question and then I forgot it. Shit. Okay. Anyway, uh, next question. At what point in your career did you have your first female direct report? Um, it would have been at the Sprint project. Okay. Um, and it was a big project. There was five general superintendents out there, multiple buildings and garages. And uh, I think that was the first time. So... Um, for those not from Kansas city, Sprint world headquarters, uh, that how many buildings were, I know that I was on building 18. Were there 20 buildings? It was 21 buildings and gosh, 14 or 15 parking garages. I should know that. And I don't, well, I mean, it was an enormous project and it was a really cool project in the fact that as superintendents, we rarely <laughs> get to work around other superintendents. We see them when we go to company meetings, but actually having five general superintendents and then a different superintendent for each building and the parking garages. It was really cool getting to interact with everybody so much more. How many years was that job? Five? Uh, 
I went there in 97 and I left there the end of 2000. Okay. Um, you know, I showed up there. I was like the low man on the pole because you had two general superintendents and I showed up there actually as a superintendent. Okay. I, wasn't even, I wasn't even a senior then. I made senior shortly after I got there. But I think one, getting to see how other people managed and see how other people not only managed their people, but just managed their processes was interesting for me. But I think the fun part of that job was there was a, a real positive competition out there. I mean, we all wanted to be the, the best. We wanted to produce the best numbers when it comes to productivity. We wanted to have the safest job. We wanted to have the highest quality job. And at the time, I'm not for sure that any of us really realized what transition that was making for the company, but it really pushed the company to a new level. Um, but it was fun. There was that we would have weekly general superintendents meetings once a week for lunch. And the first part of the conversation was, you know, people's pr production numbers or people's safety record. And it was a competition for all of us, but I think it was a good positive competition. So, yeah, um, it, it was a fun job. And I think, uh, I, I think that's when I got promoted to assistant superintendent as well. Um, I didn't get to finish building 18. And I think it's the only job I never actually finished. It's when we got, we got called up to, uh, head up to Des Moines for a couple of years. And, uh, I think that's when I got my assistant, my, yeah, my assistant superintendent promotion. Um, so going back to the question about at what point you, you managed your first female direct report, you said it was on that job. Assuming you found differences, what did you find, um, what did you find to be different about now having a managing a woman on a crew versus the men that you typically managed? Um, what's a good question. Oh, I thank you. There, I think there were several things. I mean, one, it kind of the, some of the other foremen and managers are, you know, in your group, kind of you know they got a little um i think nervous is the right word and like they were real, a lot more careful about what they would say and what they would do and how they would act because you know what it's like on a construction job site but i think the things i noticed was the female worked harder than any of the male of her male counterparts and and basically she had to i mean she had to prove herself in a pretty much you know male dominated industry so clearly, you know, she worked harder. She did her homework. She was more prepared at the beginning of the day. Um, she asked a lot of a lot of questions, and you know, it was a positive experience. You know, um, but it was it was tough for her. I'll say that. I mean, she had to work. She had to work for everything she earned. You How know. had she been in the industry very long at that time? Uh, yeah, she had came up through the trades. Um, she was not not college educated just uh you know went up through the carpentry apprenticeship and and um did you ever notice that were there times that you felt like there were you had to step in in a way uh with with the crew that that she worked in like did you notice something anything different when it came to your role managing the crew did, was there a different managing dynamic that you noticed because there was a woman on the crew 
Um, no, she she could hold her own, <laughs> which is part of what you have to be able to do if you're going to be a you know a female in this industry. Right. Um, so I think I was fortunate there. I mean, she was driven. She was she wanted this. Um, so she did everything she needed to do. I was just there to support her. And, and to be honest with you, she wasn't probably any, from my perspective, any harder to manage than anybody else in some ways, probably easier. Yeah. Um, so you knew of me, um, but now I'm just going to be nosy and I'm not going to hope that you're going to be honest. Um, what, as you were, when you were transitioning to Texas, what, what did you know of my, what was my reputation as a superintendent? Be honest. I've never asked you this. You know, you know, at that point in time, I don't even know if I had any opinion about your reputation. I mean, I knew you'd work for Pinky. I knew you, I'd, I'd been, been around you a little bit at Sprint. I knew you'd went to Iowa to do the job up there. Actually, I was probably excited to have you come into Texas because at that point in time, we were so, we had so much work and we were so short staffed that we were just looking for anybody that uh, one of my counterparts used to say, if they can fog a mirror, hire them. <laughs> that's, well, that's the I'm mode. Hoping you we thought were... I could do more than that. Well, that was the <laughs> mode we were in. So having somebody coming from that had worked for the company was a big, was a big positive to me. So so, but I, I tried to not really have formulated opinions of anybody at that point in my career, because I was, it was, it was a new, it was a new position for me, a, a management position I hadn't been in before. And so you got to kind of go into it open-minded and uh, not let your things you've heard in the past taint your future. Well, and I think, I think that's one of the things that made you such a great manager. And one of the things I try to do as well, um, cause a lot of people will go into a new position, a new job site. Hey, what's this person like to work with? What's this person to like to work for? They, they start asking everybody else and they create an idea of what this person is going to look like, um, to work for or to work with. And I mean, everybody has different opinions about each individual person. And I strongly believe that you've got to, you got to figure it out for yourself. You, you've got to figure out what you think about them because all the other could be complete bullshit. And, and some of that may come from just being who I was coming up. I mean, I heard a lot of rumors about me and I'm like, these aren't true, right? Some of them may have been, but they, it's just giving people a real chance. Um, and I, I appreciated that about you. And I had a similar situation with one of the clients I'm working with now. We finally got an executive position filled and I took him to lunch and talked about, Hey, this is your team. And I said, but I'm, I'm not going to give you my opinions of these people. You, I want you to create your own, your thoughts of them. And let's talk about it in a couple of weeks and see what you're thinking. Um, and he appreciated that. And I think that's just something that good leaders do. They, they wait to make opinions for themselves. Well, um, I had an, I had an example of when I was first getting into the trades. I worked with a guy, and you know, at, the, at my time, at the time, my opinion is like oh, this guy's worthless. You know, I can't believe he's going to make it as a carpenter. And several years later, you called the hall, and guess who I got sent? I got this guy that at the time I'd worked with him earlier. I thought he was worthless. He turned out to be 
one of the best hands I had on the crew. In fact, I think we even promoted him to a carpenter foreman on the job. So if I would have let the my earlier opinion of him taint it and just sent him back the minute he showed up, I'd have I'd have lost out. So every, everybody has an opportunity to change as they grow. So okay, so going back to me working for you, um. What, once we started working together, what, what qualities did you feel like I brought to a job site? Um, and is there a way that you felt, Hey, this is something that we can capitalize on? Well, I think a couple of the qualities that I think I've always been impressed about with you is you are always so well organized you always had your list and I think part of you know what you would do in my position when you would come to a job is you'd walk the job you'd look around and you would try and help that person think ahead or think outside the box or um, be prepared for what was going to come at them and um, a lot of times it wasn't that I was any better than anybody you were managing it's just that you brought a different perspective and a different set of eyes to the job and i think with you 99 percent of the time when i would bring something up if you thought about this you know it was back on page three of your list and that always impressed me <laughs> yeah so i had this uh i it's a it's a I, I assume they still use them but it was from layout like you said you started management really your first managing was layout and it was for me as well i'm curious how many people kind of start that i loved layout but i got used to carrying that little yellow field book and i would just stick it in the, the back of my pants because it wouldn't fit in any pocket um and i had it with me everywhere and i man, I just found a system that really worked for me to stay on top of things. And it was that damn little book. And I'll be honest, since starting my own business, I, I have not yet found that same mechanism um, that will work for me to stay on top of everything. It, having my own business now, I still feel like I'm all over the place. Like, where did I put this? I, what's my next step? What am I doing next? Um, but I, I, I miss being that level of organized and it, a lot of it was because of that list, but sometimes now the paper is just because I don't remember anything unless I write it down. <laughs> um, what about, what was the most challenging part about being my boss? You can be honest. Selling your skills to owners and upper management. Okay. I wasn't expecting you to say that. Tell me more. Well, I remember the job that we did down at the med center and it was a, it was a tough job to begin with. The schedule was tough. The work environment was tough, but you know, we had a owner's rep that clearly did not want to have a female superintendent running his project. And he made, he went out of, in my opinion, he went out of his way to make things difficult for you and your team. And, um, as you know, I looked at other projects through the, the time that I managed you and other uh, females, you had to sell that female to the, to the project team, you know, um, and did, every, 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 um, every ops manager was different about how they approached that, but, you know, get, 
got a fair, I was shocked at the amount of pushback you got over um, it back to it's kind of a male dominated industry. A lot of these guys have a stereotype. They want a man to be their superintendent. What, what advice would you have for leaders listening that have female employees and have to, you know, have to do that selling work? What, what advice would you have for them to help them sell the employees that clients are not ready for? Um, well, I think you, you have to know your employees. You have to know what their, know what their strengths and weaknesses really are. And you need to sell what they bring to the table. I mean, I think I've seen over the years, so many people don't really know their staff that well and know what they can do. Um, so I think you need to get to know, need to get to know all your staff, but you know, you definitely need to get to know the females, uh, especially if you're a male, because it's a, uh, you guys just think you're wired different than we are. Well, I think that's absolutely true. What, how do you think you went about learning the different wires? Does that, does that make sense as a question? Um, yeah. And I think something that helped me at that point in my career was that, you know, my wife was in the oil industry. She started out as a logging engineer in the offshore rigs back in the early eighties. And we had a lot of conversations about just what it was like for her, which brought good perspective to me to what it was like for you or the other uh, females out there in the industry. Well, and I love that you had that in Beth, that you're able to, to go home and have those conversations and get her perspective. And I think for those who don't have that at home, um, you know, so many of us as women on the job site or in the industry at all, we would love for you to ask, right? Like we just, you know, want to go have lunch and tell me, tell me, tell me what your struggles have been. Tell me what's different for you. You know, if, if you are, if you are a man that is managing women in construction and there is another woman that, you know, in the industry who has had some success, make time on the calendar, sit down with her and just pick her brain on how you can be the best manager for the women on your team. I mean, that's getting that advice from, from people like Terry who have successfully managed women or from the women themselves that have found success in the industry. That is your best, uh, what do they call those yellow books? Cliff notes. That's your best cliff notes that you can get for a woman in construction. Um, when I asked you the question though, about the most challenging part, I think I also heard you say selling, selling my skills to upper management. What is, what did that look like? And how, how can, um, assuming what you mean is, you know, that this, I was the right superintendent for this job, or I am ready for that promotion. What does that look like, um, for someone else listening? How can you help them talk to upper management that may not be ready? Well, I mean, I think you have to break down that break down that wall or that barrier they have and look at people for what they bring to the table, not, you know, who they are, you know, who they are, male, female, um, another, you know, minority. Um, you got to just look at the facts, I guess. And like, I remember 
selling you on a job. Unfortunately, this job was um, probably one of the most open-minded ops guys we had, but, you know, it's like Barb's the right person. Look at what she's done. Look at the success she's had on this job. Look at what she's learned from the struggles on this job. You know, she's going to be the right person for the job. And he was open-minded because we didn't really talk about the fact that you were a female. We talked about what you had done and what you had brought to the table. But this individual was a lot more open-minded about that than some other ops managers I'd worked with that were just pretty much adamant they weren't going to have a, a female superintendent. And one of them that was a struggle, his whole office staff was females, project management-wise, but then he didn't want a female superintendent. It's like, just like, I don't get it, but it's kind of that industry mindset you got to break through. Yeah. And when, when you got to know, um, I know, I know from experience, you didn't give up with, I got to know, and now I'm going to move and put somebody else on the project. Um, did you go back at it with a different angle? Um, what, cause I think too many times there, there are, there are men leading women and they are trying to support them, but they go and they get that initial no. What advice would you have for them to not, you know, at least try a second or third time before you're like, okay, I got the first no and I'm out. Um, well, I think there's two answers to that question. Some people, I wouldn't have even went there the first time. I just knew them well enough. It wasn't worth the battle. It was never going to happen. Yeah. They were going to go behind my back and circumvent to make sure it didn't happen with my boss. So, you know, the rest of the group, you just kept, kept working on them. And I don't know, only one person I ever worked with, I felt like was just a no, and I'd never even take it there, despite the fact that there was opportunities where they were, they were going to have a project that I did not put my best staff on it because of just that mindset they had. Um, yeah. And I, I think certain people listening would say, Hey, you know, just because you think they're, they're always going to be a no, you shouldn't have just circumvented them and just not had the conversation. But I, I I'm in the same boat with you. I feel like for me, even with clients, I don't take on clients that are still questioning whether women are a good resource for the industry. I'm not here to convince anybody. There are plenty of people who are already convinced and working it well, or there are people that are convinced and they don't know how to make it happen. They don't know how to hire more women or develop their women or support their women. Those are the people that I'm going to, I, I want to work with. Those are the people that could really use my support. Um, the others, I, I'm like you, I, it's not worth my time, right? There's so many others in the industry that I can help and that one's just not worth it. Well, to expand on that a little bit, part of my job is to you know assign staff to projects, assign the right, the best staff I have to those projects. But the other part of the job was to make sure that all of my staff were gonna be successful and gonna have an opportunity to continue their path and their growth within their careers. And it wasn't, to me, it wasn't worth it to try and push this person into an environment where they weren't wanted because it wasn't going to give them the best opportunity to be successful and grow their career. That's true. So that's the other side of that, that I think you need to also think about when you're managing people is putting those people in the places that they can be as successful as they possibly can also.
Yeah. And what you just said made me want to switch gears for a second. There was a, there's a, a time that I remember that you, I mean, it was just such a great boss move. Um, you know, you know, I was always pushing, um, for, um, I always wanted feedback. Um, and I always wanted the next title. I I've always been all about titles. Some people aren't, but I always wanted the next title. I wanted the senior superintendent. So, uh, two, two stories that I want to talk about with you. Um, one being, do you remember when one time you were giving me a review and we got done with the review and you said, do you have anything to say? And I'm like, nope. And you're like, what? You always have something to say. What? I don't, you always have something to say. And I said, well, that was just vanilla. It really didn't tell me anything about how I'm doing. And you took the bull by the horns and you went out and did a 360 review for me. You talked to the architects and the client and the people who worked for me and above me. And then you sat me down and gave me the cold, hard truth, the good and the bad. And it was just, it was such a great relationship where I felt like I could be honest with you in that way. And then you took it and said, you're right. I could do better with this. Let me get you what you're needing. And um, you know, other people probably would have sat in that review and thought that, you know, it was, it was good information, but I'm someone who's always craved. I want to know where I'm doing really well and where I need to improve. Cause I can't get better unless you tell me where I need to get better. And I appreciated that relationship. Do you, do you remember that situation? Yeah. And I remember at the time our review process was, it was, it was so vanilla. It was like, you know, okay, we're going through this process because somebody says we have to have this review process, but they're really what the, the way the process went, there wasn't a lot of value for anybody to get out of the review process. It was like checking a box. Yes. And at that time for me, I probably had 35 people to review, which was just entirely too many people for one person to ever review. So shame on me. I know I did a poor job at that, but no, I, I mean, you gave me many years of reviews. It was just, I think that year I was just looking for more, right? Yeah. And as a superintendent, we never want to leave the field. And then we got to come to the field for a review or we come to a meeting or whatever. And it's could have been an email, right? Um, and it's just like, no, I need more. And it was, it was because I was pushing so hard because I wanted that senior superintendent title. Um, and I remember us having a conversation where, it was okay to be a senior superintendent, you've got to do a $50 million job. And I think it was 50, maybe it was 30. No, it was 50. Um, and so there was a job coming up. One of the jobs on uh, San Jacinto college that was supposed to get me that. Um, and I was slated to be the superintendent on that job per our conversations. And then I remember one day you came in and you're like, I got some news you're not going to want to hear. You know, you came to the trailer and you told me, hey, Bob doesn't have a place to go. Bob's going to be building this job. And it made sense. I knew you couldn't put someone at Bob's caliber and his level of experience on something smaller, but it still sucked, right? But the fact that as a boss, you came to the trailer, you sat me down, you had that one-on-one -on -one conversation so that I didn't hear it from anybody else, that is just another one of the things that made me appreciate so much about what, what a good boss that, that you were. Did you, um, did you have someone like that in, when you were coming up in the industry? 
or did you not have it? And so that's why you wanted to become it. Uh, probably didn't have it. Um, like I said, I only really remember working for one superintendent that I felt like actually, you know, give you feedback and had conversations. Um, you know, he wanted to, wanted to get to know you better. And I think I, I look back over my career and he's probably one of the people that I still, you know, think back about how would have Don managed this, you know, what would have Don done. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the positive side of it. The other side, not that it's not positive, it's more of a, of a positive, well, I don't want to do this, or I don't want to be like this. Right. Yeah. People could, people are going to learn their management style one of two ways because they were treated that way and they liked it or because they were treated that way and they did it. Right. Yeah. Hopefully you're, you as a listener become one of those bosses that people want to be like you, not unlike you. Well, All right. every, situ every situation you're put in, there's something to be learned. And I think yes. you just need, as you go through your career, you need to be open-minded about that. You know, at the time it's like, oh, this really, this really stinks. I don't like the situation I'm in. I don't like who I'm working for, but step back and look, for, look at it from a bigger picture and see what there is to be learned there. So. Well, I want to wrap up today and talk a little about Danielle um, because your daughter is a superintendent. I um, first, did you, did you ever see your daughter going into construction and then taking the superintendent path? No. <laughs> wait, wait, can I now, can I now also say that when we started this interview, Terry said to me, uh, my kids called me ahead of time and told me, don't embarrass the family. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I think both of my kids, um, that originally did not want to be in the construction industry, just like I did. They grew up around it. They seen, um, you know, how hard I worked and the hours I put in. And I mean, I remember Danielle saying when she was probably in junior high, she said, I can tell you exactly what phase the dad's job's in based on what time he gets home at night. <sighs> if, it's, if it's coming out of the ground, I see him after dark. And if he's finishing it, I see him after dark. Through the middle, I'll see him at a reasonable time. And that was really true. I mean, it was her perspective. Yeah. But but back to Danielle, she, from a very young age, she wanted to be a teacher. She went to college and got a teaching degree. And it was like right at the end, just before she's ready to graduate, she comes and says, I don't want to be a teacher. This is like, no, this is not what I want to do with my career. And so she graduates with a teaching degree and comes to, comes to live with me in, in Texas and she's working like at Hobby Lobby. And it's like, Danielle, you know, you need to go find a career here. I don't think Hobby Lobby's where you want to be. And at that particular time, uh, Cliff was doing a big job in Baton Rouge. And he says, I need like an office person slash field engineer. I just need somebody. And I've interviewed a couple people and I can't find anybody. You know, anybody that's looking for a job. And I said, yeah, my daughter's looking for a job. And he says, well, what can she do? And I said, well, she's got a teaching degree. And he said, send me your resume. <laughs> and I told, I just went home and told Danielle, I said, send, send this guy your resume. I don't have, I'm making any promises. I am totally out of this conversation, but if it's something you're interested in. And I didn't figure she would even do it. She sent, sent Cliff a resume. Cliff 
met with her and interviewed her. And a couple of days later, I get a call from Cliff that says, hey, um, just wanted to let you know I'm going to call HR. I'm hiring your daughter for my field engineer slash office assistant. And that's how she got into the into the the business. That's awesome. And she really liked what she was doing. I think she was, you know, worked for a great boss to bring her up. Definitely somebody that would support her. Absolutely. And uh, she followed him for several jobs um, and it was good, good for her career. So that's how she got into the construction industry. Well, and from the superintendent standpoint, I, I, I remember when I heard that she was uh, going on that path, I was so excited for her and, and she's done so well uh, on that path. How has it been different? Um, Cause you've really been retired most of the time that she's been a superintendent. Is that, that's accurate, right? Um, yeah, I mean, um, she, she, I don't even remember what she was. I think she was maybe an assistant superintendent mm -hmm. when she left and went to work for Hensel Phelps. So, um, How, how's it been different for you? Um, you know, you, you managed me as a superintendent and now having your daughter go through it. Um, I don't know if go through it was the right words, but, um, how, how, does she come to you for advice? Do you offer too much advice? And what, what are your, what about if somebody's a parent and they have a daughter wanting to go through this, what, what is your advice? Um, I mean, it's a great career. I mean, it, and especially for someone like Danielle, if you're an outdoors person, you like to be outdoors, you don't want to, you don't want to be stuck behind a desk, desk in your career. Uh, it's a great opportunity, but, you know, you've got to be willing to to um, get your hands dirty and be out in the weather to be a superintendent. And um, so it's, it doesn't fit everybody, but it's a great career. Um, as far as conversations, have a lot of the same conversations with her. I probably had with you at some point down yeah. the road. Um, you know, it seems like my kids, the only time they call me is they want to talk about some issue they have at work. <laughs> That's great, though. At least they're calling, right? Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, both of your kids have been very successful in the industry and will continue to grow in that success. And I mean, like you said at the beginning, your whole family has been living and breathing construction and um, very successful in the industry, uh, even your sister-in-law, right? Um so I, I just think that there was a lot for people to learn from you. Um, you, you may not have, you may not consider yourself, uh, the best boss ever, but you, you, you truly were for me and I'm super grateful for that. And I want people to learn from, from your experiences. So thank you for taking the time today. Finally, finally doing this. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. If you know someone that could benefit from this particular episode, then share it with them. Or if you want to continue to learn about the untapped and underutilized resources that will take your business to the next level, then follow the podcast. You don't want to miss an episode where we discuss what you needed to hear. And lastly, there is a link in the show notes that will allow you to reach out to me directly if you want to accelerate that learning curve. Thanks for listening. Talk soon.